This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 239 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Distributed denial-of-services attacks continue to grow in size, frequency, and sophistication, and it's in every organization's best interest to properly prepare themselves against this sort of online attack. The team at Cloudflare recently published their 2021 Q3 report on DDoS, outlining their observations and recommendations for mitigating DDoS attacks. Joining us is John Graham Cumming, CTO at Cloudflare, to share his insights on the state of the DDoS threat and where things may be headed. Stay with us. If you ever go to a website and it isn't working, or maybe an app on your phone can't get information from the internet, one way in which that could be broken is that someone has attacked that website. And there are various sorts of attacks, but a very common one is what we call the DDoS, a distributed denial of service, which basically means we're going to try and make the website not work by overwhelming it with traffic. And in the, you know, recently, obviously in the pandemic, some of us will have seen this kind of thing for non-malicious reasons. We would have gone to a vaccination website and it isn't working because of the great crush of people trying to find out when they can get vaccinated. Well, what malicious people do is they simulate that. They send a tremendous amount of traffic to a website and no one can get to it. And why do they typically do that? What are the reasons why someone might go after someone using DDoS? Well... It's all sorts of reasons. Um, it could be business reasons. It could be to deny a competitor the ability to sell something. Um, it could be for political reasons that somebody disagrees with um, their, something that's on the website. Um, it can also be done uh, for, you know, to, in a sense, sort of vandalism to kind of prove, hey, I'm capable of doing this. The variety of reasons why there are DDoS attacks, what it does is it causes people to get attacked when they think they won't because there are so many reasons. And because DDoS attacks are relatively easy, then people use them as a sort of vandalism tool. I see. Well, let's dig into the most recent version of the report that you and your colleagues have put out here. What are some of the things that uh, caught your eye? What are some of the things that uh, rose to the top of the list this time around? Well, I mean, the first thing is, I mean, DDoS attacks just aren't going away. I mean, I've been dealing with them at Cloudflare for more than 10 years, and, and you know, they, they, can, they, they continue to be, even though there are good uh, ways in which to protect against them, they continue to be a, a problem. Um, you know, attacks are increasing, first of all. You know, they were up something like 44% worldwide compared to the previous quarter, which is, you know, just showing these things are continuing to, to increase. I think part of the reason is because we've moved so much stuff online, partly because of the pandemic and also just because of general trends, then, you know, the the bad guys go where the money is, right? It's about that old joke about why do you rob banks because that's where the money is. I mean, criminals are mm. going to go where business is. And so, yeah, we're just seeing more. We put more stuff online is more likely to get attacked. So 44% increase worldwide. Um, and then you can get into sort of technical details. I think the biggest area that we saw a big increase was Middle East and Africa. Um, but, you know... All sorts of things get attacked. I mean, interestingly, you know, computer companies, gaming, gambling, internet, these are all things that have seen, seen incredible increases in DDoS. But that's not to say that other things like retailers don't. They, they really do all get attacked. 
Well, the report digs into the Maris botnet. Can you give us some of the details about that? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I mean, one thing to um, to realize is how do these DDoS attacks happen? In order to get mm. enough uh, firepower, if you like, um, you need to typically build a botnet, which means hacking a whole bunch of computers, then using them in concert to attack something. Because typically one computer on its own won't generate enough traffic to knock something offline. So there's been a very large botnet put together called Meris, uh, apparently in Latvian that means plague, so that's quite a good good name for it. Um, hmm. And it used, you know, it's been, it's been targeting a very large number of websites, et cetera, around the world. There was something like, we think the research is something between 30,000 and maybe even a quarter of a million bots, i.e. hacked computers in this botnet. So they can all produce a lot of traffic. Um, primarily done by infecting um, networking hardware rather than computers, actually. So the sorts of routers people might have in an office or in their home. And they put, you know, hackers put those together into a botnet and then send out very large attacks. And we've seen um, some very, very, very big, exceptionally large attacks. Now, one way to measure attacks is in the bandwidth. So, you know, a bit like your ISP might say you've got a 10 megabit connection or a 100 megabit mm. connection or something. So one way is we say, you know, um, in terms of bandwidth. So actually, we've seen an attack that was close to 2 terabits per second. So 2,000 gigabits per second. So you know, incredibly large. The Meris botnet has been getting used to do a different sort of attack, which is to do it at a different level in the network, which is actually to go not just after the network and just fill the pipe, but actually to go after the application itself. So a bit like having millions and millions of people clicking refresh on a web page, Meris has been doing that. And we actually saw at one point 17.2 million requests per second coming from it, um, which you know is enough to overwhelm anything but the best engineered uh, website out there. Hmm. And what uh, industries do they tend to be targeting here? So um, the problem is what people do with, with botnets is they rent them out, right? So they rent mm. them out to whoever is willing to pay for them. And so <laughs> what you see is, although there are certain sectors which seem to be a, you know, a little bit more hit, so uh, banking and financial services seems to be uh, the top target of Maris, but you also see in their manufacturing, you see information services, adult entertainment. So you see a wide variety of things. So it's hard to say that Maris is being used for just one particular thing uh, because, of course, what, what what's happened with cybercrime is it's become quite professionalized. So somebody will have built this botnet and then they'll be renting it out to whoever's got a grudge and wants to try and knock something offline. Now, we also saw a resurgence of the Mirai botnet. Well, the Mirai bot then never, really, never really went away. So Mirai was famous a few years ago for having uh, knocked offline a big DNS provider, which had a big uh, knock-on effect um, on other websites and other things that couldn't operate. Uh, yeah, Mirai is, is still out there. Um, and, you know, it's been out for probably five years now. These things tend not to die. Because the, the problem is what happens with botnets is the way in which they work is they, they work by infecting something that's vulnerable. And so, you know, Maris, is, there's, there's a vulnerability found in a certain type of router, so someone builds a botnet with it. Mirai was a similar thing. They, they actually used DVR, uh, DVRs and smart cameras and things like that. Um, what happens is, of course, people don't actually upgrade all those devices. And so this stuff tends to hang around for a long time. So, yeah, Mirai, you know, is, is, has also been causing trouble. It's still out there. And it's still something we, you know, we're, we're really dealing with. And we saw 
a really quite a big uh, attack, actually, about 1.2 terabits per second coming from a variant of Mirai. And so we, we, you know, we don't expect these things ever to quite disappear. To what degree are we seeing um, innovation in the DDoS world? Are, are, are there advances in the techniques that they're using, or do they pretty much follow the, the same playbook? Um, in some ways, they follow the same playbook in the sense that there's only you know, certain ways to attack things. I mean, they tend to be either at the application level, which is the, you know, the, almost like the person hitting refresh on a web page over and over again, or they're at the network level, which is filling the pipe. And the exact technique being used, whether it's, you know, maybe it's DNS reflection or maybe it's SYN packets, um, it, these things, first of all, they tend to stay around a lot. There, there are new things that tend to come along. But recently, we saw a pretty big spike in a, in a protocol called DTT, DTLS, uh, which jumped mm. up a lot. You know, it's just because somebody's found that maybe that people don't have very good protection against that, and so they're off trying it out. But... Um, the, the, the truth in, in cybersecurity is that old things never die. I mean, people will try new things, and maybe those new things are a bit more powerful. Uh, but we see all the old tricks, and yeah, recently DTLS has become somewhat popular. You know, one of the things that caught my eye in the report was um, Cloudflare, Cloudflare's recommendation uh, to go with automated responses to DDoS protection. Can, can you outline why you think that's the way to go? There's a couple of reasons. One is that um, the alternative is you go for you know on demand, right? Which is to say, you get an attack and then um, you will you know call us or call your provider and say, hey, can you stop this attack? Um, there's inevitably some delay in doing that, and so you know in that delay time, your uh, your website or whatever is offline. Um, and so having something that's fully automatic and, can, and that can make a decision about blocking something in seconds actually makes a really big difference. And so we tend to say to people, you know, have something that's on auto, uh, on automatically so we can deal with things. The other reason is that what attackers like to do is actually do quite short attacks. And so what they'll do is they will attack something, knock it offline, send it a lot of traffic, and then they'll stop after a minute or two. And then they might restart later. They might do this periodically. And so the problem with having an on-demand service is, is you're forever calling and saying, please start protecting me. You've got a problem and making the technical changes necessary. And actually what can happen is the attacker can have switched off their attack by the time you've got protection in place. And then they'll come back later when you dropped your guard. And so in general, mm. we think that you know, fully automatic protection makes the most sense. And what does mitigation look like? I mean, what's going on under the hood when when you all switch on DDoS mitigation? Well, so, you know, we've built up over years a whole stack of software, which is, first of all, doing the detection of an attack. And you're, you're trying to figure out, is this request or is this packet legitimate? Is uh, somebody's trying to do something useful on the internet? Or is it part of an attack? And, you know, Although you, we talk about the overwhelming size of an attack, uh, and you can think about the massive amount of traffic, when it comes down to it, um, the actual work being done is at an individual packet or individual request level is saying, is this malicious? So some of that is done with signatures that we can detect things. And some of them is done by a bunch of very clever software, which is looking at that great flow of traffic and saying, all of these things are related and they're all related as part of an attack, and therefore you can go and block them. So that requires software that's running in our data centers around the world and some in our centralized data centers, which are doing data analysis. So they can very, very quickly 
make a decision on blocking something. And of course, you know, the, the naive way to block something is just to disconnect uh, your mm. network. But of course, then your, network, you know, de- your website doesn't work. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really help, right? You sort of, you know, you've cut off your nose to spite your face at that point. Um, so you have to have something which is going to make a decision about what's allowed to go through. Uh, we, we do that, and that's, that's really our specialty. And, and and forgive the uh, the naivety of, of this question, but how do you ensure that your blockers aren't themselves overwhelmed? So there are really two approaches this the industry has used. One is to say we will have what are called scrubbing centers, which are specialized data centers dedicated to this purpose of uh, DDoS scrubbing, right, cleaning up traffic. And they have to have a tremendous amount of bandwidth, right? Because an attacker is going to throw a terabit per second, two terabits per second at those data centers. And within them, they have to have hardware that can can deal with that, can actually do the work of filtering. Um, we took a very different approach because Cloudflare operates a very large global network to, in 250 cities worldwide, um, you know, hundreds of data centers. Within those data centers, we have hundreds and thousands of machines and if you think about the first D in, in DDoS being distributed, what that means is the attack comes from all over the world. Well, if you can stop the attack where it starts, all over the world, you actually kind of water it down because you divide and conquer. You know, a bit of the attack is coming from Switzerland, a bit is coming from the UK, a bit is coming from Brazil, etc. And if you, rather than having all those terabits per second arrive at some scrubbing center and then trying to cope with the flood, you split it across the entire network. Then you can actually do it much more efficiently. And actually, that's what we've done. We've built every machine in our network participates in this distributed denial of distributed denial of service, right? We block it where it begins. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. You know, one of the things the report uh, points out is that we've seen um, recent attacks on voice over IP service providers. What are you all tracking there? What attackers are looking to do is find a way to hurt organizations. And if you go back a few years, I mean, the way to hurt the organization was to go after their website and, oh, their website doesn't work, right? And then people says, look, you know, so-and-so's website doesn't work. Um, Because of the threat of ransomware, so one of the things that's happened is that rather than there being, say, like for political or for, you know, QDOS, you know, I knocked off this website, it's become a business of extracting money and in particular, you know, ransom threats, what attackers are doing is saying, what can we do that will hurt an organization? And it might be the public website. It might be the email server. It might be the um, the VPN system they have. But one, one thing you can really hurt them on is voice over IP. Everybody is using voice over IP. Look at us talking in different parts of the world over the internet. And, you know, if a company's got a voice over IP conferencing system, phone system, if you can knock that offline, you can hurt them and you can demand money. And so we definitely saw, first of all, people go after companies directly where they have VOIP, but also actually after the service providers doing voice over IP. Because you imagine if they go offline, mm. their customers are offline, and it becomes a, you know, a, bigger, a bigger impact. So there's definitely been a surge in that. Um, and it's definitely been the case that it's linked to um, ransom threats of like, you know, we'll stop doing this if you pay us a certain amount of Bitcoin. How do you recommend that organizations dial in uh, the amount of prevention that they have? You know, taking that, that risk calculation. I think one of the things is to actually just get, first of all, a, a sense for the attack surface of the organization. I think, you know, 
it's a bit like you, know, you walk out of your house and you lock the front door and you forget to lock the back door and then, you know, a burglar goes mm. in the back door. Um, organizations have lots of ways in which they're exposed to the internet. And so I think one of the things to do is to start with a survey of everything that's connected to the internet. And, you know, service providers can do this. We we're, we can do it within our product. We can show you, uh, you know, what we see and what's protected and what's not. And then, yes, absolutely, you can start to make a, you know, a decision about what's worth protecting and what's not. Now, I will say that one of the sort of um, old ways of thinking about this was there really was a need to trade off, you know, well, is it worth protecting or not? because of the cost of some of these services. I mean, what Cloudflare did, I think, fundamentally, when you think about DDoS, is change the equation in terms of, uh, of protection. And so, really, you can go all in and say, I'm just going to protect everything because it's not going to be prohibitively expensive to do so. And I think that actually makes sense because attackers are looking for the, you know, the unlocked back door to get in to cause you trouble. Where do you suppose we're headed with this? Do you suspect uh, we're going to continue to see more attacks with greater volume um, as, as things go forward? I think that it will continue. I think as we add stuff to the internet, um, people will attack it because it's relatively easy to do. And in some cases, there's money to be made doing it. Um, so I don't see this stopping. What I think is going to happen eventually is that particularly for DDoS, people will get a protection for their websites, for their services, um, and it will become as commonplace for you to have a DDoS mitigation provider, just as it is today commonplace for you to have a spam filter um, for your email. And, you know, spam has not gone away. If you go look in that spam folder, there's a lot of stuff in there. But we have good protection that can, can stop us having problems from spam. And I think the same thing is going to play out with, uh, with DDoS, obviously not on a personal level, not on your individual email level, but at a company level. Uh, and I think it's pretty vital that we um, that, that companies do that because this stuff isn't going away. The one thing to think about DDoS is that we see uh, organizations of all sizes being victims. So it's really quite surprising, um, you know, from, the, from sort of small mom and pop shops to uh, the very largest companies and this isn't anonymous wearing masks doing it for political gain. This is now a, a criminal business uh, where there's money to be made. And so uh, the attackers will go after anywhere they can extract money. Our thanks to John Graham coming from Cloudflare for joining us. The report is titled DDoS Attack Trends for Q3 2021. You can find it on the Cloudflare blog. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 